All right, the message. We started a series. I think actually I started the series online, but I, I can't remember if I did one in person before online. But anyhow, we've been on a series about relationships. Happy, healthy, holy relationships. We talked about our relationship with the Lord. We talked about the marriage relationship. And today, I want to talk about the friend relationship, or better known to us as friendship. Okay, so having a friend is a relationship, obviously different than the marriage relationship, different than the relationship with the Lord, but it is a relationship. You see, we are continually, always in relationship with other people. And if you're good at relationships, if you understand how relationships work, you're going to be happy in life. If you're bad at relationship, you're going to probably be miserable. Now, God's Word has a lot to say about it because it is important. You're in relationship with a boss at work. You're in relationship with family. You're in relationship, depending on your age, with other people at school. You're in relationship all around you. And if you're bad at it, you're going to not be happy. But you can get good at relationship because God's word shows us how. And actually tells us we should be really good at it. But we'll get to that in a second. So the friend relationship. Now I've been starting off each message in the series reminding you that we were created for relationship with others right from the beginning. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So right from the beginning, God saw that people should not be alone. Now he's specifically talking about the marriage relationship there, but the words he says, it's not good for man to be alone. We were never created to be all by ourselves. Now, being by yourself for a time, getting a break, uh, spending time alone here and there is healthy, but not continual aloneness. People who have been lost in the bush and left alone, when they find them often, there's a lot of trouble mentally. You're not meant to be alone. I remember reading a story or hearing a story, part of me, about a man who was in Africa, and he had to drive a truck, a jeep, for a long distance, and on that track, he was going down a road, and he met a herd of elephants. If you know anything about elephants, they don't typically like jeeps or land rovers, and in this spot, there was an elephant who had been tormented by people, and it attacked his jeep. It flipped it over and wrecked the Jeep. The Jeep could no longer run. And so he had to walk the rest of the way. And of course, there's a lot of different scary animals on that walk. When he finished the walk, he was not an old man, but when he finished the walk, he went from dark brown hair to completely white. Alone, his mind being crazy. Just think if you had one other person with him. I guarantee it would have been a whole different walk. 
Can I tell you, in life, you shouldn't just walk by yourself. And we're talking about friends today. Do you have a good friend? And I'm going to ask that question a couple of times. Do you have one good friend? If you have one good friend, you're blessed. If you have two good friends, you're really blessed. Good friends are important, and they are worth taking time for. You see, God's Word said we're created not to be alone. We were created to be with others. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, Now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus called his disciples what? His friends. Jesus was a friend to them. They were his friends. They ate together. They spent time together. They walked together. They talked together. They sang together, it even says in one place. That's when you know you're good friends, when you sing together. Jesus said, people are going to know you're a Christian by your love for other people. So as Christians, we should be good friends with people. They should be able to see, wow, that's the kind of friend I want. As a Christian, that is how they will know we're his. And you can't love people without having friend relationships. So what, according to scripture, does a happy, healthy, holy friend relationship look like? Well, I'm going to give you a few points from scripture. This is what it should look like. And the first one is so simple you're probably going to wonder, what is he saying that for? But it's scripture. A true friend is friendly. I know you're like, wow, that was deep, Pastor Dan. <laughs> okay, Proverbs 18, 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. And there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, if you want friends, you have to be friendly. I know you're thinking, that's so simple. Simple, but sometimes forgotten. Sometimes we feel like it's everybody else's fault if we're feeling we don't have a friend for other time. Wait, 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 wait. Are you being friendly? Are you someone that people would be attracted or drawn to because you're friendly? I remember hearing a quote, and the quote was this. I went out to find a friend and could not find one there. I went out to be a friend and friends were everywhere. Your heart, what you give out, will draw people in every single time. A true friend is friendly. I know that's so simple, but let's not ever forget it. Now, the second thing about friendship that I want to bring this morning is this. A true friend is honest. Read with me Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve his hidden agenda. You see, a true friend will be honest with you. And if you have a true friend, you can be honest with them. A true friend will tell you if there's a booger on the side of your nose. They won't just let you keep going, will they? Okay, that's an easy one. But a true friend will also tell you, hey, what's up? You seem kind of angry this week. A true friend will tell you, you know, that shirt doesn't look good on you. A true friend will be honest. 
A true friend will say, you know, I haven't seen you in church for a long time. What's up? A true friend cares about you enough to tell you the truth, to be honest. You see, because if somebody doesn't really know you, well, they probably can't speak into what's going on with you. And you probably wouldn't receive it. But a true friend, you'll receive it. I have good friends, and I feel like all of you are my friend. And as the pastor, I'm supposed to tell you true, hard things sometimes. But you know what? If you don't really know me, it might be hard to take. But when you have a true friend, you want them to be honest with you. I want my friends to be honest with you. Do you have a good friend that you'll receive anything from? Because you know they care. Let's be honest with one another. Let's be honest with our friends. And you see, a true friend is honest with you. In other words, they're not fake with you. What do I mean? This verse has both sides, and it talks about the fact that the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. What does that mean? That's somebody who's pretending to be your friend, but then they go away and they're your enemy. So this is important because a true friend and an enemy might look the same, but someone who is pretending to be a friend won't be honest to your face, and then they'll go and talk behind your back, or they'll cut you down or talk about what they don't like about you here, what they don't like about you there. That's not a true friend. A true friend will be honest to your face. If a true friend has an issue with you, they'll come to you. And with others, they'll say nothing because they're your friend. They're honest with you. So when I speak of honesty, I'm not just talking about what you say, but how you are with them. Don't be fake with your friends. Because let's face it, if you're not willing to be honest with a friend, it's possible that you're really more concerned about what they think of you than how much you care of them. A good friend is hard to find. Good friends are important, and God says we should have them. So being honest, be honest, be kind, but be honest with your friends. Don't be fake, because fake is a nice word. The Bible calls it deceitful. Did you catch that? Don't be fake. I don't know why this came to my mind, but whoever remembers when they were younger or maybe, you know, that young and, okay, I'm going to tell this story. (laughs) I remember a number of years ago, my wife's sister was babysitting this little boy. This little boy was a bit of a handful and uh, my wife's younger sister was starting to get pretty upset with him and she was, you know, yelling at him. She was trying to look after him. She was, she'd had it. She's ready to pull her hair out and she's yelling away and her phone rings. She grabs the phone and she's like, hello. (laughs) And this little three-year-old boy is like, she's a fake (laughs) at the top of his lungs because she'd just been yelling. Let's not be fake with one another. Let's not do that in real life. Now she maybe was happy to hear whoever called on the phone. But we don't have to pretend around true friends, do we? We can be real. Be real with your true friends. All right. A true friend loves always. Let's look at that verse, Proverbs 17, 17. A dear friend will love you no matter what. And a family sticks together through all kinds of trouble. A real friend will still love you even after you've had a rough week. True friend will still love you even if you made a big mistake. A true friend will look out for you and they will care about you. They will love you no matter what. 
I want to read a, a little bit of the story of Jonathan and David because here's two uh, young men who were true friends. And that's in 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 4. And it said, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there was an immediate bond between them for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Jonathan and David were true, strong friends, and they actually made a covenant that was saying, we'll continue being friends no matter what, because true friends love always, no matter what. And their friendship would be tried as Jonathan's father, Saul, tried to kill David multiple times. And Jonathan finally had to warn him and said, you need to flee or you'll be killed. Later, both Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle and David weeps for Jonathan. He didn't want them to be killed. And he sticks to his covenant with Jonathan of friendship and says, I'm going to show the friendship. Then if Jonathan is not here, I'm going to show it to his next of kin, to those in his generation. And he finds a young man named Mephibosheth, who is lame and has been hiding out because typically when a king becomes king like David did, they kill everybody who's part of the old king's family. But not David because that was his friend and he had a covenant with him, close friend. And so he gives back the land to Mephibosheth that belonged to Jonathan. He says, get the servants there. They're going to work it and they're going to bring the uh, income from it to Mephibosheth and he's going to sit at my table and I'm going to feed him friendship honored. But I want to speak for a minute to the word love that's in these two verses, because often when we talk of friends, you know, maybe love isn't something we would put together with it. But I want you to understand that word love is similar to the word we use for love. It can be, I love food. I love wisdom. I love my wife. It can be all of those things in that word even the intimate part. And so what that means is when you come across this word, the context tells you what way they're using it. Okay? So for an example, I love my wife and I love waffles. Okay? The context lets you know there's a difference. I don't passionately kiss my waffles. There's a difference. Okay? The same with this story. We can know from the context what love they're talking about with Jonathan and David. And I only bring that up because there's a little bit of misunderstanding with interpretation sometimes. And sometimes people feel we need to go back and reinterpret clear things in Scripture. But context helps us know how to interpret. What do I mean for David and Jonathan? Well, the beliefs and culture of the Israelites at that time they followed the old covenant, which was very blunt and very straightforward about relationships. I'll just put it there. David was a man after God's own heart and served him well. So we know from that context, Jonathan and David were strong friends and nothing more. It's interesting in our day and age that sometimes people try to interpret scripture based on the present culture or their present experiences. 
That is a wrong context, which gives a wrong interpretation. You see, this was written in a context that we need to hear. This context determines for us the interpretation. And I say, well, I don't know if I like that. Well, it doesn't really matter. When you're reading the scripture and you want to know the truth of it, there's nothing to do with what you like or don't like. If you're honest and you want to know what it says, then you need to understand context. Now, the great thing for you and I and our time with the new covenant, Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. You see, any one of us can understand what God was saying in his word. And if we don't understand, we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us. You see, God's word is plain and simple. Right from the beginning, it was plain and simple. At the very beginning, he gave them pretty much one rule. Hey, that tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from it. If you do, you'll die. What happened? Time passed. They're in the garden. We don't really know how much time passed, but time passed, and along comes the devil, and what does he do for Eve? He tries to reinterpret what God said. Are you sure that's what he meant? Uh, I'm sure what he said he meant. If you're being pressured to reinterpret something plain and clear, I can tell you where it's coming from. The same one who is called the great deceiver in Revelation, his name is Satan. Forget all the fluff and just go and look at it plain and simple, remembering the context it was written in, and you'll understand it. But if for some reason you still don't, then say, Lord, I thank you, you gave the Holy Spirit to help me understand and I pray right now that you would make it real to me. I remember hearing a testimony many, many years ago of a lady where something like this happened. Now, it's over 20 years ago, so I'm going to tell it the best I can remembering it. The lady shared that she had been in a vehicle accident and was paralyzed. She was in a lot of pain and was not getting better. And she had heard that, well, Jesus paid the price on the cross for healing and, you know, healings for anybody who will receive it. But she wasn't so sure she believed it. She thought, well, maybe it was for them back then. But she was praying and she was asking the Lord, can you make this real to me? The Lord suddenly gave her a vision or a dream. And in this vision or dream, it was like she all of a sudden was there on this dusty road and there not too far was Christ hanging on a cross bleeding for her and as she shared it she said it was so real she said I could smell the dust on that dusty road and I could see him and in that moment I knew it was for me when she woke the healing began and she was healed. I want to tell you something. Context can make it real to you like never before. Ask the Holy Spirit to make it real. If you've tried up here, if you've tried with hearing and listening, just say, Holy Spirit, can you make this real to me? And he will. Because he's going to guide us into all truth. Now I know you're saying, what's that about friendship? I had to explain a little bit about love with friends. Because let me be blunt, 
friends don't sleep together. Married couples sleep together. Okay, can I be that blunt? I said, can I be that blunt? They're like, you already did. Why are you asking us? (laughs) All right. True friends also will refresh and help each other. Whew, that's a good word, because sometimes we need refreshing. Well, a good friend will refresh. Look at Proverbs 27, 9 to 10. Sweet friendships refresh the soul and awaken our hearts with joy. For good friends are like the anointing oil that yields the fragrant incense of God's presence. So never give up on a friend or abandon a friend of your father. For in the day of your brokenness, you won't have to run to a relative for help. A friend nearby is better than a relative far away. So friends refresh, friends help. And friends are better for you than a relative who's not close. In this scripture, he is encouraging and saying, don't abandon your good friend. You see, you and I have to be willing to help and refresh our friends also. It's never just one way. Don't abandon that good friend because in a time when you really need it, guaranteed that good friend will be there. That's what he's saying. So good friends, you and I should be able to refresh and help others. I remember a time, this was got to be a couple years ago now because it was to do it ministerial and we haven't had a ministerial meeting for uh, over a year because of COVID. But when we had ministerial meetings, I remember one time chatting with the priest at the Catholic Church here in town. And I was mentioning to him that I had seen him uh, shoveling the snow outside his church the week before. And I was like, wow, that's, I didn't realize you did that. And, you know, we were talking. He goes, oh, you know, thank you for noticing it. It shows you care. And I said, well, if I was honest, if I really cared, I probably would have stopped and helped you shovel. So maybe I don't care that much. I just was being honest because true friends actually help and refresh, don't they? You know, and I realized that sometimes we need to go beyond to show our friendship because true friends refresh and help. But are we friends that help and refresh? Let's be sure that we do. Let's lift up those around us and God will in turn refresh us every time. But we need to be the ones who started. Also, a true friend rejoices and weeps with you. Luke 15 and verse 6. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he is found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Now this is talking, Jesus is talking about somebody who's unsaved and they go out and they find him. But I want to focus today on the culture of the time. Here they were, if somebody lost a sheep, you went out looking and found it, that was a good enough excuse to have a party. That was a good enough reason to invite your friends, have a meal and woo, yes. So they knew how to rejoice with one another. Can I encourage you? I know right now you're not supposed to yet, but it's coming soon. Make sure and find 
make excuses if you have to, to rejoice with other people. We don't need to be depressed and discouraged to the point of why am I here? Find a reason to get together and rejoice with a good friend. Okay? I mean it. If you're feeling discouraged and down, then you need to rejoice with your good friend. And if you don't have an excuse to call me up, I'll find a reason. I'll get something for you. You need to rejoice, plain and simple. There's a lot of heavy things. There's a lot of uh, sickness and dark things going on in our world. Find the things to rejoice and do it with friends. It'll change how you feel, I guarantee. In that day and age, that's what they did. They rejoiced. I grew up on a farm when we lost a sheep and found it. I don't remember rejoicing about it, (laughs) but they did. That tells me they looked for reasons to rejoice. But also rejoicing with others is important. A true friend will also weep if you're going through something heavy. There was a loss in a good family of ours not too long ago, a good uh, group of family of people, and it's heavy for them. Are we able to weep with them and comfort them? You know, let's be willing to show that we are their friend, and sometimes that means coming alongside of them and crying with them. Sometimes it means just being there and putting an arm around them. A true friend will do that. Romans 12, 15, I don't, did I read it already? I'm going to read it again if I did. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. A true friend will. My last point, it's going to take a few minutes yet, but this is my last point. A true friend will introduce you to their greatest friend of all. John 15, 12 to 13. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love and to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus is the greatest friend of all, willing to suffer, to be beaten, to be crucified in our place. That is the greatest friend of all, Jesus. And for you and I who call ourselves Christians, he's our greatest friend. And are we caring enough for our friends to tell them about him? What do I mean? Listen, if you have a friend who doesn't yet know Christ, but you're a Christian and you actually believe what this says, you believe that if someone doesn't know Christ, they're not going to heaven, they're going to hell, that means that friend who knows nothing about it is going to hell. And if you're not willing to talk to him, you're not a true friend. Like, oh, pastor, don't be so pushy. This is the truth. Do we really believe it? Maybe we don't really believe it. Or are we kind of selfish and we're like, well, at least we found out. Too bad for them. Well, I don't want to offend them. Excuse me? Well, I might offend them. And then they'll be upset. Um, okay. So is it better to offend them or to just say, oh, I don't care. You, you can, bye. I'm going to go to heaven for eternity. It's going to be awesome. And you aren't. Did you know when you say I'm concerned about offending somebody, did you know that that's actually a really selfish statement? Because you're actually worried that they might not like you. They might be upset at you. That is a selfish statement in this situation. Totally. And you're going, oh, that explains why he preaches like he does. (laughs) Do you care about your friend enough? Now, I'm not talking about memorizing a way to talk to them and then slapping them with your Bible. Not at all. But if it's truly something that important to you, you should be willing to talk to your friend. 
If I was your friend for a couple of years and you were a Christian and you never once talked to me about it, and then I found out, I would probably think you weren't really a good friend. Maybe you're just using me if you don't tell me the most important thing in your life. True friends are willing. You know, we were blessed last night. We had a young man in his 20s gave his life to Christ. The reason he was here, a friend brought him. A friend had already talked to him. A friend cared enough to bring him. That's awesome because true friends care. And I'm excited because that's the way to come back to church. Thank you, by the way. I try not to pick people out, but awesome, awesome when we do. Now, the scripture has a story about a man who cared deeply about his friends. I don't want to read this to you. This will be our last scripture today. Acts chapter 10 and 24 to 27. Oh, I have to give you a backstory first. So this is the story about Cornelius. Cornelius was a man who prayed to God. He understood who God was, and he was very generous uh, towards the Jews, God's people, but he wasn't a Jew. And he would pray often to God. And an angel came to him and said, I want you to send someone to a certain house, and there's a man named Peter there. Get him to come to your place, and he's going to tell you what you need to hear. So the angel tells Cornelius this, and he is super glad about it. And so he sends someone to go get Peter, and an angel has also talked to Peter and said, someone's coming. When they get here, you're going to go. They're not Jews. They're uncircumcised people. They're the worldly people, but they need what I have, and I'm sending you. You better go. So Peter goes, and now we can read what happens. Verse 24, they arrived in Caesarea, that's Peter, the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. You see, Cornelius gets a Word from an angel that Peter's going to come and tell you what you need to hear. And Cornelius understands something about faith. It must be shared with others. He isn't just there by himself with a cup of tea for Peter. He has got together every relative that will come and every friend that's willing to come to his house. And in that day and time, it meant that he likely houses them overnight and he definitely fed them. So you need to be here. There's a guy coming. An angel told me to go send. He's coming. He's going to tell us what we need to hear. My relatives come. And Peter begins to tell them about what? Christ, the Messiah. And as Peter's talking about the Messiah, Christ, and how he is, uh, you know, he died on the cross. He's given him the gospel message. And when he gets to the end of it, he says, if anyone believes in him, they'll be saved. And obviously, immediately, everybody in the room believed, and it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter looks around and goes, well, apparently they believe because they just got filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's water baptize them all. And that's what they do. All of his friends, all of his relatives. Why? Because he cared enough about them to invite them, likely feed them and house them, and I don't know for how long. Do we care about our friends enough? 
step out a little, to take a risk, to see them come and accept Christ. I believe if you are a true friend, you will.